Pastor Xavier Reese with today's simple truth about the unique makeup of the church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Galatians 3, 28 says, Whoever you are, whatever you're raised, whatever you've ever done, whatever people have done to you, when you become a Christian, we're all on the same level. Different gifts, different callings, but we all have the same standing before God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What makes a good church? What is it you look for in the one you choose to fellowship? From the warmth of the greeting, to the style of worship, to the length of the sermon, many aspects undergo the scrutiny of the churchgoer who's seeking a church to call home. Well, coming up, Pastor Xavier continues his thorough examination of the simple truths of Scripture for the criteria God Himself places on those who gather in His house. Let's listen. What we want to do is um, look at the nature of the church by asking what is meant by the church. And we want to go to the Scriptures to find out. Secondly, what is the developed concept of the church? And we'll trace it from the Gospels on down to the Epistles in the book of Acts. And then thirdly, what is the church to do? The word uses the word for church, ecclesia, in the New Testament. It's made up of two words, ek meaning out and kaleo to call. Now the word ecclesia describes and identifies the people who were, have been, and will be called out from the world by the Holy Spirit of God when they hear the voice of God through the proclamation of the gospel. No one can be convinced into the kingdom of God. No one can be convinced to become a Christian. It comes through the conviction of the Spirit of God as the gospel is preached. Now the church is said to be the bride of Christ also. The marriage metaphor has been used throughout the Old Testament for your maker is your husband. Again, the family correlates with the series here on the church, and you find that in Isaiah 54, 5. In Isaiah 62, 5, it says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Israel is the wife of God, divorced. The church is a chaste virgin looking to be married. Do not confuse Israel with the church. Israel's a wife put away. The church is a bride, virgin, looking for a wedding. You understand? The church is a bride and her relationship united to Christ is a spouse as a chaste virgin, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 2. And her purity is not her own, by the way. Our righteousness has been imputed to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Her purity is given to her by virtue of Christ giving himself for her and will present her without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. So this is what the church is according to the Bible. Second question is, what is the development concept of the church? Paul is the person who we are indebted to for this development and the concept of the church as we know it in the scriptures, especially from his prison epistles, Ephesians and Colossians. They're rich. 
Everyone in the church has equal standing in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6 says. Every one of us here. All are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. Everybody. All are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 10. All are connected in Christ to each other in order to maximize the efficiency and effectiveness of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 16 says. All of us. Now, everyone in the church is different. So, the body is comprised of many members, yet it is one body. And it's illustrated by the physical body in Scripture. You have hands, feet, eyes, many members. Not one part of your body can exist on its own. They all must be connected so that the body works. It's so the same in the body of the church of Jesus Christ. All have received a measure of faith, Romans 12, 3. Not for salvation, but for gifts and callings. All have not the same office, Romans 12, 4 says. All have different gifts according to the grace given in Romans 12, 6 and Ephesians 4, 7. All are given gifts severally as God wills in 1 Corinthians 12, 11 and 18. That means severally, that means he knows who can handle what gifts. There is no favoritism with God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows our hearts. All is God's divine sovereign work by his Holy Spirit in the diversity of the church, the body of Christ, which makes the church, listen, a living organism, not an organization to be run like a corporation or by management principles. There is organization, but only that found in the Bible. There is to be a, a shared effectiveness. And since the bride responds on her own, so a pastor should never manipulate or force people. It is voluntary. It is of their own will. Because love is only valuable if it's voluntary, right? You can't force somebody to love you. The value of love is it's voluntary. When somebody loves you voluntary, you feel indebted because you know you're not lovable. You know you don't deserve it. All are to recognize Christ as the head. All are to be seeking out their gifts. All are to be exercising their gifts. All are to see themselves as part of the whole body. You may be a little finger, but you're very important. If he's made you a foot, don't try to speak. You know nothing about it. If he's made you an ear, don't sit down. <laughs> be what God has called you to be, and as everybody responds to God, God manipulates, orders, directs the members of the church, and he gets his will and his purposes accomplished. I'm a witness to that of the last 30-some years in this ministry. Every time the word church appears, the context must be examined on how it's used. It's used in four ways in the New Testament. First, the universal church is represented by the entire company of believers in Christ, both living and dead. You find it in Matthew 16, 28, 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Galatians 1, 13, and Ephesians 1, 22, to mention a few. So the universal church is all those who are alive right now in the world that are Christians, and those who were Christians are dead and they're in heaven right now. The universal church. Okay? That's how it's used. Second way that it's used is the local church. 
the actual assembly of believers in one place gathered for fellowship, such as the church at Antioch, Sincrea, Corinth, Thessalonia, or Pasadena. Okay? You find that also in Matthew 18. You find that in Acts 13, 1, and other portions. The third way is the assembly of believers as the actual gathering of believers in one place for different kinds of fellowship. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen and 14, 19, and verse 23. So sometimes we, the church may be gathered for a women's ministry or for somewhere else, or maybe they go do something. That's the way it's also used also in Scripture, okay? And the fourth way is a small house church where those congregations met in homes. They didn't meet in big buildings as we do. They met in homes. Romans 16, 5, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Colossians 4, 15, and other places. That's the four ways the word church is used in the New Testament. God is the only one who adds to the church daily such as should be saved in Acts 2, 47. I have never added one person to the church, and I certainly have not saved any. All are called to the straight and narrow path and to enter by one door, which is Christ. And now they become part of his church. You know, if you have one battery, you have a certain amount of power. But if you connect a hundred or a thousand batteries, now you've got that much more efficiency. And that's the same with the members of Jesus Christ as he puts his body together as he collects his bride. If a person understands the nature of the church, then from the scriptures, a person will not fall prey to the new philosophies that contradict, alter, or supplement the concept of the church in the New Testament. So once again, the scriptures is what we sift things through. Like the Gnostics of 1 John, who taught that matter was evil and spirit was good. Therefore, a person could worship God in spirit, they said, and partake of evil vices, and one would not affect the other. The church grows by leaps and bounds. You can be a Christian and worship God, and then you can get off from here and go fornicate with your girlfriend or boyfriend. It's okay. It's cool. Because it's physical, it doesn't affect you. You're really spirit. <laughs> How convenient. Like the Catholic Church that teaches salvation through the Roman Catholic Church alone and are many dogmas for working for salvation. Mary is a co-redemptress. Saints and virgins are intercessors for you. Completely contradicting scripture. Like the teaching of universalism that everyone is a child of God and all are going to be in heaven. Not so. Now, everybody's going to live in eternity, either with Jesus or separate from Jesus, but not everybody's going to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. How many interpretations can you get out of that? Only one. There is no name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, Jesus Christ. How many interpretations? One. There's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How many interpretations? One. Salvation is pretty clear and simple. It's not that complicated. If a person understands the nature of the church from the scriptures, a person will not be swayed by the intellectual approach. If a person understands the nature of the church scripturally, a person will not fall prey to the various movements also that promise to make your church grow. 
through their man-made methods and doctrines that corrupt the nature of the church. The positive confession and health and wealth doctrine that teaches that all Christians are to be healthy and wealthy, or if not, you don't have faith. You're not exercising faith. They make the big distinction between two Greek words, logos and the rhema. The rhema is the spoken word. Speak and believe. Positive thinking. Not negative things. Don't say negative because it'll become yours. Lest you bring it upon yourself. Yet not one Greek scholar would ever agree with their exposition in the distinction of those two words. Not one Greek scholar. And yet thousands of people have followed them since it broke out in the early 70s. The seeker-friendly church movement of Rick Warren is based on church growth principles. He's one of the gurus. Seeking to be culturally relative with a social gospel according to the people's desire at the expense of the gospel, sin and repentance, being one of the major ecumenical church movements. And people line up by the books. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as are being saved. The emergent church movement, with its new reformation, it says, generous orthodoxy, which is nothing but philosophical paganism. You call it Christian, and you bring all these pagan things under it. Syncretism, we saw it in the book of Kings, the northern and the southern kingdom. Amazing. These are the contradictions that are going on today. Third and last, what is the church to do? This describes her function. The church is to be known not for cookie sales, not for raising money, not to meet everybody's need, but it's to be known, first of all, that she has a mission to the lost, a mission to the lost, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. By calling people into the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, saving those who are lost. The word preach means caruso in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It appears 61 times in the New Testament. The figure was that of considered importance in the ancient world. Men of integrity and character who were employed by the king or the state to make public proclamations. And the herald's authority was not his own. It was vested to him. The message of that herald was not his own. It was given to him. And the herald was not responsible for the response of the people, but his responsibility and obligation was to make the proclamation, and his duty was over. Each person was responsible for the response. His was only to make the proclamation. It's a great word for the Great Commission. Jesus called the 12 disciples they responded, and he chose 12 apostles in Luke 6, 12 through 16, over an entire night in prayer. Peter preached, and 3,000 were saved at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 41, as the Holy Spirit convicted them. Paul called many Gentiles, and they were saved in the book of Acts, Acts 9 all the way to 28. But every time, it was by the proclamation of the gospel, by the conviction of the Spirit, and Jesus is the one who saved them. You understand? And they were drastically transformed 
but also by seeing people sent out by our Lord Jesus Christ as laborers and missionaries in this mandate of mission. Jesus is the primary example, the greatest missionary. He left heaven to come down. Acts 17, he prays to the Father that he left and he wanted to be glorified with the same glory he left. Having everything, he came to the sinful world to die. Jesus sent the 12 disciples and the 70 out to save the lost in Luke 9, Luke 10. Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Book of Acts. There's five great commissions that are recorded. Jesus called Barnabas and Saul to the mission field. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of the ministry which I have called them in Acts 13, 1 through 3. The church didn't send them out. Jesus called them out. And the church just said, okay, let, me, let us pray over you. <laughs> we are to occupy till he comes. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after him, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Mark 8, 34. That's always a call to the lost. The second thing the churches do is the church has a ministry. First, a mission to the lost. Second, a ministry to the church to nurture the saints in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. You're familiar with the passage. This is discipleship. Those ones lost become students of the word of God. Even as the 12 apostles they became, that were disciples first. Now, it is by the men God chooses and calls the gifted men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers there in verse 11. It's for the equipping of the members of the church for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, it says in verse 12. It's to be done until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, in verse 13. So we begin as young men, adult fathers and mothers. We're growing in maturity, growing and developing the knowledge of Jesus Christ as a church. You need physical mental and emotional maturity in a child. We as Christians need the growth, development, and maturity likewise on every level of our growth. Also in verse 14, that they no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, of cunning craftiness, which they lie in deceit. So we teach the word of God so that you are able to discern error, deception, contradictions, so that you can stand on your own, that you know the word of God, and you can give an answer to every man for the reason, the hope that lies in you with me, just in fear, in 1 Peter 3.15. Also, the church has a mandate. The mandate is to worship God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4 through 10, chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. They're, they're before the throne of grace, and they're worshiping all the elders and the angels before the throne of grace, and the church is there also. That's our mandate, to worship him. The picture is the church before the throne of heaven, casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, as you know. The identity can only fit the church, no one else. The theme of heaven is worship. That that's the theme that should be in the church, the worship of Jesus Christ. Worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word to attribute worth to something. Most words of the Old Testament communicate the idea of prostrating oneself before God in awe of the person of God. Moses at Sinai, Ezekiel at Babylon are good examples, always falling on their faces. They're on the ground before a holy God. 
Worship is understanding and being aware of God's holiness and one's unworthiness and one's sinfulness. Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips in Isaiah 6, 5. You see, worship should never be confined to a vocal expression or a bodily posture, but service and obedience to God. Service and obedience is worship. Absolutely. In obedience, we worship him by acknowledging him as our Savior and our Lord. In service, we worship him by doing his will and for his name through his love in order to provide the proper representation of God to this world. Trusting not in our own abilities or powers, but those of Christ through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he endows us with. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Galatians 3, 28 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor circumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all, Colossians 3.11. Whoever you are, whatever your race, whatever your nationality, whatever you've ever done, whatever people have done to you, when you become a Christian, we're all on the same level. Different gifts, different callings, but we all have the same standing before God. The ministry of the church is to teach the word of God to the saints then. Today, the visible church is teaching political correctness, an ecumenical gospel of oneness, one with the world's philosophy. No one wants to make judgments and expose what is wrong. Clear air, it gets you in trouble. The mandate of the church is to worship Jesus, who is God, him and him alone, with all our hearts, all our mind, our strength, according to the word of God. Let me close here with Revelation 22, 8 through 9. John says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down and worshiped before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your servant, your fellow servant, and your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. That's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. The church is to worship God. Jesus is God, bringing us to the Father. This is what the church is to do according to the Bible, a mandate, a mission to reach the lost, to instruct the believer, and to worship Jesus. And so this is the nature of the church. The church is a called-out people of God for the purpose of hearing and obeying his voice, the bride of Christ, according to the Bible. The developed concept of the church is the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. We are his body through the various members according to the Bible. And the church is to do, is to seek the lost, mature the saints, and worship Jesus according to the Bible. So our plumb line is the Bible. Methodology can alter. Somebody might want to worship through organ. Other guy through a guitar. It's still worship. The important thing is what are the words saying. I don't care the instrument. <laughs> so the methodology can be different. But we can't deviate from what the church is to be. Understanding the nature of the church. 
This will give us a good background as we follow in the weeks to come. Pastor Xavier Reese with a thorough look into the body of Christ, the church, and the scriptural simple truths of what honors God as we gather in His name. Now you can hear this program again online at the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But if you prefer a CD copy of the complete uninterrupted presentation, the title to request is, What is the Church? We'll include everything we shared last time on one single disc for the low cost of just $4. Once again, that title, What is the Church? Get yours by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Have you ever considered what it took to become a member of God's family? If you want to gain an appreciation for your salvation, make sure you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 